This is Tom Koslick, the head of research and analytics at Hilltop Securities. Thank you everyone for joining us today for this episode of Hilltop Talks, politics and finance podcast series for 2021. During these discussions, we consider topics that intersect the worlds of politics and finance at the federal, state, and local levels in the United States. And we often concentrate on issues related to US public finance and the municipal bond market. Today, we're gonna to be focusing on the list of events that are going on in Washington, D.C. as it relates to the federal budget, uh, the debt ceiling, and the Build Back Better Social Agenda, in addition to the legislation that many are concerned about as it relates to the one plus trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. We have Brett Bolton from the BDA today with us, who is in DC and dare I say the closest thing to a DC insider as many are going to want to be able to talk about as it relates to the status of all of these things. And I think that the best way for us to handle this, Brett, if it's okay with you, is if we just go right down the list of all of the things that are going on, discuss where they stand and discuss the potential impact of how it is that they are likely to uh, impact state and local governments and other observers of the municipal bond market. Welcome, Brett. Thanks for having me, Tom. And I've now become a D DC insider, so maybe it's time for me to change careers, but I'm sitting here in DC. I've got at least eight or nine tabs pulled up on my laptop here to my left. So the last day of fiscal year 2021 is off to a pretty wild start. So we have a, a lot of ground to cover. And that's a good point. Let's make sure that we highlight to everyone that we are recording this at about 2.30 Eastern time on September 30th. And I think that a good lead in for the first topic to discuss is the status of what it is that lawmakers were planning on doing and what it is that, based on what I can see, they've done as it relates to funding the federal budget. Brett, where are they on that? Sure. So uh, I think this is a good place to start because this is slowing dramatically the infrastructure progress here in D.C. this week. So we just got word about 30 minutes ago that the Senate passed a short-term continuing resolution to fund the budget for the next nine weeks. So a CR continuing resolution is just uh, keeping cash flowing, uh, but at the same cap level. Um, as the prior budget. So this is truly just a stopgap measure. Um, they're punting the ball into December. So to get past the uh, debt ceiling deadline as well, but this really changes nothing. It just uh, turns this to another day uh, down the road. Yet the government will remain funded tonight uh, into tomorrow, which is a big step for this dysfunctional Congress to say the least. But the fact of the matter is, is I think that it's probably important for us to reinforce because of all of these moving pieces is that there, there was a specific deadline that lawmakers had to meet. And they have in fact met that deadline where the federal budget is concerned. And at least for, as you mentioned, the next several weeks, the federal budget is not going to be shutting down. They've met that deadline and uh, it is something that, that, that being said, what does that mean for the status of the negotiations between the, about the 
bipartisan infrastructure bill and the three and a half trillion build back better social agenda. There was supposed to be a vote in the house today on that bipartisan infrastructure bill. Is that vote going to happen? Right before we hopped on this, Tom, I, I was out there catching up on my, my, my news, right? So whips in the house, democratic majority whips claim that while they do not have the votes at two 30 this afternoon, they are planning to proceed to vote either later today or early into tomorrow morning. All indications are that the 60 plus house progressive caucus have enough votes to block this legislation. Uh, the BIF, which I, I, Speaker Pelosi has been calling it today, so the Bipartisan Infrastructure Framework, but I, I think that's a pretty good name for it, the BIF. Um, I, I don't see how, how it has a way forward today. So looking back since, what, August, when the BIF passed the Senate, it's been sitting in the House. So Democratic leadership, House leadership, plan to use this package, the Bipartisan Package, as somewhat of a negotiation tool to get the entire caucus behind uh, the robust $3.5 trillion reconciliation package. To get that to happen, House leadership promised a vote on or before September 27th, so three days ago, uh, to pass the BIF, the bipartisan package, through the House. Clearly, here we are on September 30th. That date has come and passed, and nothing, and I mean nothing, has happened with the bipartisan infrastructure framework in the House. Um, so the point being here, we've we've spun the same wheel for the past three months and nothing, nothing has happened. So we come to today, uh, another deadline imposed by majority leadership, a self-imposed deadline, if you will. Uh, it looks like it's going to fail as well. Well, so I, I guess today as we talk, we can get into you know, the specifics of each bill, but this is still a process conversation. Mm -hmm. Everybody agrees that the bipartisan framework should pass. Yet, there is much disagreement with the reconciliation package, the size, the scope, uh, the policies throughout it, major disagreements throughout the Democratic caucus that's holding up the bipartisan bill at the same time. It's catfighting at the best, inter-party catfighting at that, progressives versus a much smaller, moderate contingent, and it seems like neither side's going to get their way, and at this point in time, it's hard to see a path forward, Tom. Clearly, see, Nancy see, Pelosi. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say. So I'm seeing. I'm seeing poll. Very recent polling data. Polling data and from different sources. The, the numbers that I'm going to cite are from, uh, September 17th. The data for progress noted that, where the bipartisan plan is concerned, 64% of those polled support the bipartisan plan, 24% oppose it. And the Build Back Better agenda isn't supported at at quite as high, but there's still 62% support for the Build Back Better agenda and 30% opposed. So there are, from a, from a polling perspective, both of these things are popular. What is it that is holding, what is it that's holding things up? Why is it that, uh, in, I guess from, Outside of talking about the very specific topics, what can you key in on in the Senate and in the House where the the key the key roadblocks are? Absolutely, and just to highlight the 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 popularity of these bills, sixty nine to thirty was the Senate vote. 
to pass the bipartisan bill. Uh, that's unheard of considering we can barely pass a budget to keep the government open right. and cannot pass that's a, good a, a bill to, to raise the yeah. debt ceiling. So 69 yeah. to 30 is an extremely popular package and that, that mm -hmm. should not be forgotten. Yeah, that's a good point. As for the roadblocks, Tom, I, I'm looking at Joe Manchin, a West Virginia senator, Kristen Sinema, Arizona senator. So both Democrats in the House, both very moderate Democrats. Uh, Joe Manchin's state of West Virginia, I think, went Donald Trump by 30 percentage points. And as we all know, Arizona was barely blue. So um, they pride themselves at, at being a pain to progressives, which good on them. They're, they're representing their constituencies. Uh, they're holding this up in the Senate. Uh, it, it came out today, actually, that Joe Manchin back in July proposed uh, 1.5 trillion dollar cap for the reconciliation budget he gave uh leader schumer the document and leader schumer signed the document acknowledging that that would be his top line figure that he would agree to vote upon now there are several clauses in the in the document that will give it a little wiggle room but but that should show you where we are uh, the progressives claim that 3.5 trillion dollars the bill that the outline that passed the senate and these are the progressives in the house the progressives in the Senate, I'm sorry, I'm saying oh, in the Senate right now. My apologies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if you ask Budget Chairman Sanders, $3.5 was already a concession because we forget that he wanted over a $6 trillion bill. So that's where they're at in the Senate. Uh, you have the moderates in Manchin wanting $1.5, and then you have the progressives led by uh, Senator Sanders saying that six he wanted $6 trillion, so $3.5, I've already given enough. He's already a compromise, right. Exactly. So that, that's where they're stuck in the Senate. In the House, I'll go back to my earlier comments. It's truly just a, a game of cat and mouse, right? So to pass the bipartisan bill, the House Progressive Caucus is demanding that House leadership finalize text for the reconciliation package because we get ahead of ourselves uh, talking about this, uh, that text exists, exists because individual committees passed portions of the legislation, yet there are still huge portions of the legislation missing, such as the SALT cap. What are they going to do with the SALT cap? No one really knows. So it's still a draft piece of legislation. It's still a draft piece of legislation that's missing roughly a third of the policy to be included. So they're saying now, until you show me that, until you show me the good faith that you're going to go forward with this $3.5 trillion, we're not going to touch the bipartisan infrastructure framework. That being said, they have come back off the progressives in the House, their position of we're only going to vote for these both at the same time. Now they're at least giving Speaker, Speaker Pelosi a little leeway saying, show us what you're going to do and we'll vote on the bipartisan infrastructure framework. So some progress has been made behind closed doors. Let's not gloss over that. But there's still a large chasm between the progressive and Democratic caucus in both the House and the Senate. So before we get to the debt ceiling, let's uh, talk about some of the details, some of the public finance, public finance friendly elements that were included in the Ways and Means Committee draft a couple of weeks ago that very well could find their way into the three and a half trillion dollar budget reconciliation package. So if what happens is that that three and a half trillion gets reduced, let's assume it's going to get, it gets reduced to a trillion and a half. 
what's going what do you think is going to happen with those public finance friendly elements that's a that's the 3.5 trillion dollar question tom i am I, I am uncertain sure just because we don't know further details however because of their overall price tag the grouping of the five or six provisions being so minute compared to the overall budget i, I think we remain in pretty good shape plus we should not forget that both House Ways and Means Chairman Neal and Senate Finance Chairman Wyden are both longtime advocates for a plethora of muni provisions. So they're clearly pet projects for the chairs of the two committees that matter the most for these provisions. So that automatically puts you in a pretty good spot. As for Mansion's 1.5 trillion uh, outline he provided, there's not much details about the financing provisions that were included in the Ways and Means draft. He was more so focused on energy provisions, uh, as West Virginia is a major coal state, concerns about uh, electronic tax policies, credits, et cetera, and more so concerned on ensuring that the corporate tax rate would pay for the bill. So he did not get into granular enough detail uh, on public finance provisions. Um, so again, I feel like we're in pretty good shape, especially if it remains in the two to $2.5 trillion figure a figure which I think is probably most likely. Mm -hmm. um, there's a strong coalition of lawmakers that are friends of ours, of the industry, meaning, um, and are big fans of these provisions. Okay. So this week, uh, Secretary Yellen finally put a date on when it is that action is going to need to be taken where the debt ceiling is concerned. She said, I believe it was Tuesday of this week, that the extraordinary measures that the Treasury enacted uh, a few months ago are going to run out and action is going to be needed by October 18th. Correct. Yeah. Has. Have any of the lawmakers on either side in any of these scenarios given us any indication that this is something that they are going to be able to come to an agreement on before that? Or is this going to be another 11th hour showdown like we saw 10 years ago? I need to take a deep breath before I, I take on that, Tom. <laughs> that, that's pretty loaded. So there's multiple avenues and they all seem pretty, we'll keep it PG, crappy, right? Mm -hmm. So earlier this week, I believe the House passed a continuing resolution tied to a debt ceiling increase and shot that over to the Senate. For bills such as that, they have to beat the filibuster, which takes 60 votes. Uh, it did not happen, right? Not a single Republican voted to break filibuster to advance the debt ceiling. So it went back to the House. The, pa the House passed the clean CR. The Senate agreed to that today. It'll be signed into law in the coming hours. Apparently, the House, their next step, they're going to pass a clean debt ceiling raise. Punt that over to the Senate. I, I don't see how it plays out any differently. I assume the Republicans are going to filibuster the bill and then we're back at square one. Now, maybe maybe somebody knows something that you or I do not know. Maybe 10 Republicans agreed to vote to break cloture, right? And not vote for the final passage of the debt ceiling bill. That's one possibility, but I've yet to see any, any indications that that is the case. So I hope I'm wrong in that. I hope I wake up in the morning and debt ceiling's cleared and we can move back to infrastructure where you and I want to talk. But chances of that happening, I believe, are slim to none. So then what does the Democratic caucus do? 
I think the final option and clearly the option of last resort as leadership has determined it is, is to include a debt ceiling increase into a reconciliation package. You and I have talked about this at length, at length. And I think honestly, putting the debt ceiling, amending the reconciliation package that exists currently, while it's politically fraught and scary, Democrats would have to pass that bill, which maybe that's the fire they need to, to actually get this across the finish line in 2021. I've also heard flirtations today, and it has not been confirmed that maybe they would dumb down this reconciliation bill, maybe put it in the $1.5 trillion range like Joe Manchin wants, include the debt ceiling raise, and then attempt to pass another reconciliation bill with the remaining of the priorities in 2022. Chances of that happening successfully in 2022, I think, are are slim to none as mm -hmm. it's going to be a nasty political year uh, in the midterms for House and Senate races. Absolutely nasty. So I cannot imagine much legislating being done. But maybe, hey, maybe that's a way they can get through the next three weeks. I, I, I don't know. There's no clear path today. There has been no clear path over the past few months. Secretary Yellen has been vividly clear about how disastrous this would be and how it continues to creep closer and closer date-wise to, to today. So I know that doesn't fully answer your question, but I hope that helps to paint a uh, as negative of a picture as it actually is here in D.C. with the debt ceiling with no true path, no good path forward at least. No, it, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is, as you just said, there doesn't seem to be a clear path. And one of the things that I've heard several times, especially over the last week, is Speaker Pelosi reiterating some statistics that were published by, by Mark Sandy and his team at Moody's Analytics in a September 21st report titled Playing a Dangerous Game with a Debt Limit. And just even this morning, I heard Speaker Pelosi say, if they're in, and this is a situation where there'd be a default scenario, a def, you know, where uh, not, there is not action taken before the 18th. And what it is that Zandi and his team described is a situation where 6 million jobs will be lost. The unemployment rate rises close to 9%. Stock prices are cut by, a th in, um, by almost a third and wiping out $15 trillion in household wealth. That's where that number comes from that Speaker Pelosi continues to talk about. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that this is one of the other things that Zandi and his team uh, focus on. And I, I, and I believe this is true as well. Since the U.S. Treasury securities would no longer be risk-free or considered risk-free, future generations of America's, of Americans could very well pay a steep economic price. And that's a quote from the report and I'll uh, tweet out a copy of that report. There's a link to it on their site. Uh, do you think that lawmakers themselves understand the significant financial no, and or no, okay. no, no, I can cut you off there. Absolutely. Now, please just think yeah. about what you just quoted, Tom. Debt will become more expensive over time because the U.S. has lost its full faith and credit. Right. But yet we have the folks arguing not to raise the debt ceiling because we spend too much money, yet we're just going to make debt vastly more expensive going forward. There's there's no logical argument not to pass the debt ceiling, but here we are. So no, sorry to cut you off there. Just I, I don't think they 
maybe because it has not happened, right? There's no precedent to look back at. There's no urgency, zero urgency to pass this. So no, they do not understand the consequences. So they're going to need a deadline. They had, uh, right. I guess that's why one of the things that I was stressing uh, a few minutes, well, 10 or 15 minutes ago is that there was a deadline for the federal budget. Uh, it went pretty close to the wire, but it was, it was punted, I suppose, but based on the deadline, they finally did meet it. Yeah, I, I, we're going to come down to the, the final hour. I have no doubt, um, but uh, it's very frustrating to even talk about that. We're, we're, I, it went so far as Secretary Yellen calling for the abolishment of the debt ceiling today. I read that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's, it's politically fraught. It's economically fraught. It's not like our country didn't just come out of an economic disaster, Tom. And yet here we are trying to force ourselves back into one uh, a disaster that can be fully averted. It just is nonsensical. Well, that rev- that is a good overview in my mind of the items that uh, we set out to discuss. Brett, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tom. This was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm glad we could have this conversation. And I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in and downloaded our recording today. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, for those interested, you can also see the recent Hilltop Securities Economic and Municipal Commentary and listen to our podcasts by going to hilltopsecurities.com backslash commentary. And you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Again, um, this is Tom Kozak from Hilltop Securities. I want to thank Brett from the BDA for joining us today. And we will, uh, I think we're going to need to have Brett come back in a couple of weeks before the, uh, the debt ceiling deadline to review where things are again. Thanks again, Brett. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to Hilltop Talks, a Hilltop Securities podcast where we navigate the impact of politics and finance on the financial markets. For those interested, you can view our Hilltop Securities economic and municipal commentary by visiting hilltopsecurities.com backslash municipal dash commentary and hilltopsecurities.com backslash economic dash commentary. You can also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again, everyone, for subscribing, tuning in, and participating. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future on topics that intersect both the world of politics and finance. This has been Tom Koslick at Hilltop Securities. This communication is intended for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice, nor is it an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any investment or other specific product or service. Financial transactions may be dependent upon many factors such as, but not limited to, interest rates, tax rates, supply and change in laws, rules and regulations, as well as changes in credit quality and rating agency considerations. The effect of such changes in such assumptions may be material and could affect the projected results. Any outcome or result Hilltop Securities or any of its employees may have achieved on behalf of our clients in previous matters does not necessarily indicate similar results can be obtained in the future for current or potential clients. Hilltop Securities makes no claim the use of this communication will assure a successful outcome. For additional information, comments, or questions, please contact Hilltop Securities, Inc.
Hilltop Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hilltop Holdings, New York Stock Exchange, ticker symbol HTH. Hilltop Securities is located at 717 North Harwood Street, Dallas, Texas, 75201. Phone number 833-4-HILLTOP, H-I-L-L-T-O-P, and is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities Investor Protection Corporation. Mm-hmm.